0: Hi, I'm Stacy. I love talking about how to know and live out God's callings in our lives, preferably cozied up with steaming beverages in comfy armchairs. You can head to my website, stacysummerow.com, for more on discernment. That's S T A C E Y S U M E R E A U.com. Uh, I'm so busy. (laughs) I had an incredible time. I went to Los Angeles for the Religious Education Congress there. So it was Catholic Disneyland. It was literally across the street from Disneyland. And I had two sessions, one was on discernment and one was on self-image and our identity as children of God, uh, sharing my testimony and stories about my vocational discernment on the sisterhood becoming nuns as well as discerning every life choice. And then for the second talk, sharing my my story about my self-image struggles, um, specifically going through an eating disorder. So it was an incredible, incredible time. You know, it's so it's so funny, we live in this world where we sit behind computer screens and sometimes I like, forget what it's like to really be in person with people, you know? And so all this ministry I'm doing from behind a computer screen it just pops, and it comes to life for me when I actually get up with people, in front of people, and get to talk to them in person. So what a blessing. Um, and I also, I know there's so much going on in our church right now, and I would say that this conference really inspired me to give individuals, the benefit of the doubt. And what I mean by that is, we can start to assign all these labels to people, you know, conservative or liberal or whatever. But when you actually meet people and you talk with them face to face, it's so important to bring respect to that conversation. And it's so much easier to do that in person. So it gave me hope that, you know, there are people, I'd say, almost everybody in the Catholic Church is is trying their best to make sense of all of these issues and to synthesize um, what you know Christ's love demands and and the world around us so that's my little I'm going to get off my soapbox now, Um, but that's my little spiel for today. So let us get to the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by the Carmelite Sisters of Baltimore. So you all know that I recommend that every person discern religious life, right? Every person. So these sisters have a beautiful description of their order. Listen to this. Seized by the unconditional love of Jesus Christ and a Lord to the mountaintop, the sisters embrace the mystical flame of contemplation as their life's grounding. There are so many awesome Carmelite saints, including St. Saint Teresa of Avila and St. Therese of Lisieux, real heavy hitters and some of my favorites. And these sisters live out that tradition in a multi-generational and multinational community, striving to share the love of God with our world, which is so in need. So let's get to the episode. Today, we are diving into two of what I think are the most misunderstood calls in the Catholic Church the consecrated single life or consecrated virginity, and the diaconate. I have an incredible guest today. His name is Deacon Gerard Anthony. You are going to love his infectious laughter. And we talk about all kinds of things that I, as a lifelong cradle Catholic, never ever knew before. We talk about the big question what is a deacon? Also, what is consecrated single life? And is that even a real vocation? Uh, We talk about the history of the diaconate, so you may not know that there was a golden age of the diaconate and that several deacons were actually elevated to pope, which is pretty cool. We talk about the life and the ministries as a permanent deacon and how to know if you are called to consecrated single life and or the diaconate. Enough chatter, let's get to it. Deacon Gerard Anthony, it is such a pleasure to be with you on Calling Caffeinated.
1: Oh, thank you, Stacey. It's a joy to be here. Thank you so
0: much. Thank you. Yeah, so what are you drinking today?
1: Well, I love fruit-flavored tea. So Ooh. I have a little Celestial Season Blueberry.
0: Oh, good stuff. So what calls have you received from God in your lifetime, and what have those calls looked and felt like so far?
1: Well, uh, I would say there's general calls, and then there's specific calls. Mm-hmm. General call call it joy um just because that's the fruit of the holy spirit mm-hmm. um also i call the humility um just because through humility i'm able to find the lord um there's lots of things that that happened, but they helped me to keep laughing at myself, which is so important. Um,
0: <laughs> I love it. And I can tell from your laugh, you've got the most infectious laugh. When I heard your laughter, I was like, this guy's going to be so great on the podcast. Everyone's going to be smiling after they listen to this.
1: Well, <laughs> there's, there's a lot to smile about. I mean, there's, there's totally a lot to smile about. Um, I remember one time we did uh, some door to door. I'm in a group called the Legion of Mary and uh, we knocked on this door and uh, this lady opened up. And she says, uh, yes, hello. Um, we're, like, we're from the Legion of Mary, St. John's Catholic Church. Are there any questions you have about the faith and stuff? She goes, Catholics? Doing door-to-door? Maybe
0: the Messiah is coming. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, there's we'll have to talk more about that because I, um, I love that evangelism, the evangelistic spirit. And I've thought often, like, why don't we do door-to-door?
1: Yeah, I mean, right? I think a, a lot of times, and this is the tough thing a lot of times when people think door to door, they actually think, okay, here's some old Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses coming. But actually, like evangelization, being able to tell people about the gospel, that is something that's at the heart of our baptism because it's mm-hmm. at the heart of love. If you love something, you can't just kind of keep it to yourself. Mm-hmm. But, if you, but if you really love something that Sometimes that's a test of how much you love something Because honestly If you love something You're always going to want to talk about it mm-hmm. you're Always mm-hmm. going to want to tell people about it yes. So you know like If, if I knew this uh, If I had a thousand dollars And I said yeah you know I have a thousand dollars But all I did was keep it to myself That would just lead to avarice right. If I had this knowledge that I just keep to myself It becomes pride mm-hmm. But when I give it to others It becomes charity
0: Mm-hmm. and
1: that's what that's what we're called to do is is to serve you know so i love that kind of stuff and that brings me joy so i mean that mm. goes, that calling with with the joy um but sometimes too you have to have um you know what that joy comes across and that's because love demands sacrifice but I, I think that's also good but but um also openly like more specifically um if you're thinking of like kind of vocational calls, I've had all of them. <laughs> I've had all of them. I mean, I felt I had a, a call to marriage. Um, there was this girl. um, wonderful, wonderful woman. I mean, she honestly, I thought she was the woman that I was going to marry. But, you know, for obvious reasons, being that I'm a celibate deacon now, that didn't work out. But,
0: (laughs) but. Tell me more. I'm very interested in that because I think a lot of people, you know, my hope is for our listeners who are in that spot of, they don't have the hindsight yet, you know, to know in the moment, what is God calling you to?
1: Yeah. I wasn't really strong in my faith, to be honest with you, when I met her. But, I knew that this girl, I wanted to be with her and I loved her. Um, So I wanted to be, quote, a good Catholic for her. But God actually works in mysterious ways because even though we dated, we dated for about a year and a half. And like I said, I mean, I honestly think that I honestly thought we were going to get married one day. But um, we eventually ended up breaking up. Um, And it was it was heartbreaking for me, to be honest with you. But. What she left me with was this love for the faith that it stayed with me. Um and it actually and, and when I got ordained, I actually sent her an, an invitation. Um mm. because, I mean to put how how close this girl was for me, because like I said, I wasn't in the faith, um, really practicing. Her dad actually became my confirmation sponsor. I was I was mm. confirmed when I was eighteen. So yeah um she i mean but we just were that close i mean i i love the family and stuff and mm. so when i got um ordained as a deacon i actually sent her an invitation and a little letter saying you know without you i never would have been to this point you know and it was it was really touching because i mean we we grew up together i mean it was it mm. was but um Yeah. She was a wonderful woman. So, you know, so that was the marriage vocation.
0: (laughs) There it was. And you know, I've heard, this is funny when you get into like the Catholic bubble, like Franciscan. And, um, I know a lot of people who went there in my high school and stuff like that and and different parishes. And I hear different girls be like, yeah, I was the gateway. Like everyone who dates me becomes a priest. (laughs) Thanks God. (laughs) <laughs> Which I always think. I think it's hilarious. Yeah. I mean. For a little while for a little while. And then eventually you look back on it and you're like, no, yeah. that was meant to be. That's how God wanted it.
1: Exactly. And I mean and, and when and, and you know, speaking of gateways, I mean that was my second one, the religious life. Mm-hmm. Because um after that I went to college Um, and I was thinking I was going to go into this organization called the congregations of the sacred and immaculate hearts of Jesus and Mary. Um, they were father Damien's order. He went to the leper colony in Hawaii and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know a little about him. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. But, uh, but that didn't pan out. Um, but, uh, then I went into this other order with this guy from my college. It was called the Franciscan friars of the immaculate. I didn't end up going there. I, I discerned there for a while, but um the guy who came in with me actually did stay and he's now a priest for the order. So I was his gateway.
0: <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And you're just pursuing you're just pursuing God. You're just pursuing holiness. And when something doesn't work out, it can feel like you've lost God, but you haven't, you've just lost you haven't lost anything. You've only helped yourself and others to get to know yourself better. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that's so important Like mm-hmm. that you're saying that because it is like every time you do one of those things, it's like an engagement's broken off. But even when it comes whether the marriage or religious life or whatever, if an engagement is broken off, it always is for your good. I mean, mm-hmm. it's tough to be able to lose someone or you think that you're losing someone that you love,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: actually what you're doing is you're you love each other so much you're willing to tell each other the truth and say we're not meant to be together for life. Yes. And that takes courage and real love. Yeah. The uh, father superior, actually, he called me into his office one day. He says, he said, brother, it's very clear to me that God is doing great work through you, but you don't belong here with us behind the cloister. You belong in the world. And I mean, that took a lot of courage for him to say that because you know, a lot of times with, especially with orders, and even the priesthood or whatever, they're looking for vocations. You know, yeah. they yeah. want to hold on to people. You know,
0: oh yeah, <laughs> especially now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, they're like, no, no wait, wait, we can make this. work. <laughs> we can make it work. We can make it work, right, guys? Yeah. Yep. That is courageous of him to tell you that. Yeah, and that, and I mean, that's so.
1: That's how I got out in the world, and mm. that's when I started. Uh, eventually, discerning, I discern focus. Um, then I discerned, um, the seminary, um, and I had to leave that for health reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, well, I should say even I had to leave the application for health reasons. I never actually went in, uh, but, okay. sure, but, but then eventually, um, I was able to find the diaconate. I mean, and that's where it is. I mean, um, I ran across that when I was in college, we were having a class, um, And I was reading this kind of document on the restoration of the permanent diaconate. And I said, wow, this sounds like something I would like. You're basically, you're ordained towards to be the arm of charity. And I I loved helping people my whole life. That was like Mm. a constant theme while I was trying to find what God was calling to be. I just always wanted to help people. Mm. Mm, This sounds like something. And then, uh, you know, as I got older, um, that came to fruition so, so I called it. So I was like, I went through the whole gambit.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's a, I, that's not uncommon at all though. And it is so good to, um, to give your life to God. And then, you know, you, you put, you give your life to God, you explore an option. It's not there. You give your life to God, you explore another option. Still not there. You give your life to God, you explore another option. And then you feel that peace and you yeah. know, this is where the peace is. And then you have so much more security knowing that you have already, uh been striving to give your life to god in many different ways and so you feel that that you're like oh yeah okay this is what it is and then you're able to make an informed choice
1: yeah and Mm -hmm. i think that's that's absolutely amazing and that's at the heart because a lot of times there's a verse in scriptures like uh, matthew 7 um asking you shall receive seeking you shall find knocking the door will be open to you so you keep knocking you keep Mm -hmm. knocking And then you open the door and you're like, okay, wait, okay, that's not for me, you know, and you're doing it with God. God is with you through the whole time. He's like, no, I don't want you there, but it's good that you saw this. No, no, I don't want you there, but it's also good that you saw this because it helps you to grow. And I mean, like I said, with the girl, um, Natalie, um, she helped me become a good Catholic man. Mm. The religious orders helped me to see that, okay, my charism or my apostolate belongs out in the world. And now, you know, as a deacon, I'm using all of that together because I couldn't do it if I wasn't a man or if I wasn't out in the
0: world. So, Right. Right. And especially as a millennial, I get very impatient and I want God's answers yesterday. (laughs) So it's been a really, really a growing process to learn that God works a lot more slowly than sometimes I would like. But it's good because he's showing me things along the way. If I take the time to absorb them. Like you're saying, you know, God and somebody else has said to me, um, I think Steve McCourney said on his episode, like God writes straight with crooked lines. Yes. yes. He works with all of our seeking and even all of our, our sins to show us what we're, you know, and it's amazing when you think about it, like who else could bring such good out of, um, out of this winding path, you know, and it's not to say we can just choose anything and everything's going to be just fine. But, you know, as long as we're really trying yeah. yeah. And,
1: and that's really what's at the heart of it. Because if you are trying, ultimately, sanctification is a matter of the heart, and the will, you have to be willing to look. I mean, honestly, that's a mm-hmm. lot of times where people, they don't move forward, because they don't look, you know, they just get mm-hmm. It's like, no, we're called to grow, we're called to be there, we got to keep going. Yes. Keep walking with the Lord, you know, keep walking with the Lord.
0: Yeah, don't join the SPD, the School of Perpetual (laughs) Discerners. (laughs) Move your feet. Visit a convent. (laughs) I know, I stole that. I can't remember who I heard say that. It was a nun. This this is so fascinating to me. I love your story so far. Um, But I find myself coming back to this question that i've asked at different points in my life people say the word deacon and i'm like oh yeah yeah, yeah. you know the deacon he's the guy who stands next to the priest at mass and sometimes he <laughs> gives homilies and sometimes people say oh yeah deacon so-and-so baptized our child or married us but like what the heck is a deacon and what's the history and i even heard you give a talk where you said what is a deacon is the wrong question to be asking so yeah. that's like yeah. three questions in one but i think you know
1: yeah, I, know I can ignore <laughs> But I have to say, even from what you just said, you know more about deacons than most people do. Because a lot of times when okay. people talk about what is a deacon, they think, oh, yeah. I mean, and this is, I've actually gotten this before. I'll give you the whole gambit of things. They're like, you know, somebody came up to me one time, a parishioner, and he put their hand on my shoulder. And they said, yeah, you know, deacon, um, I think you should let the, let the kids. Have their funnest altar servers because they think we're just adult altar servers. You know?
0: Oh my gosh! No, I'm dude. actually ordained. Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not an altar server. <laughs> that wow, that's funny. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so <laughs> anyone listening who thinks that, let it be known, you're not just there to spoil small children's fun.
1: Exactly. It's like I'm not like Gargamel from the Smurfs movie. <laughs> But, but the, uh, the deacon, I mean, uh, we have a, a great history, um, and it goes all the way back to Acts chapter 6. That's where we actually start. I mean, and they had Old Testament types of the deacon, um, like the Levites. Um, they were the ones that would help the high priest around the altar. Mm-hmm. They come to their fulfillment in the New Testament with this office of deacon. The apostles... We're like, yeah, you know, we need to go out and we need to go out and spread the gospel, spread the word. And as scripture says, it's not good for us to neglect the word of God so that we can wait tables. Mm -hmm. So I jokingly say, when people say, what is a deacon? I say, well, we're technically the original waiters. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's funny.
1: (laughs) But after, after, um, they put the office of the deacon there. It really, that waiting tables was meant to be, okay, let's go out and have hospitality. Because here's the thing, you can serve somebody um, and you can give them sacraments. And even just like you can give people life, like you do as a mom, it's a wonderful calling. Mm -hmm. But if you're not walking with them in the everyday things, they're more likely to lose their identity. So hospitality actually is something that's very important. Um, mm-hmm. That that deacon actually does help with the hospitality. So as the word started spreading and more and more Christians were becoming Catholic, you know, because Catholics were all Christians
0: for, for a while. Yep. Yeah. So, <laughs> so,
1: um, So um, there would be two types of helpers. There would be something that was called an Episcopal deacon, which are ones that were basically the assistants or secretaries to the bishop himself. Mm -hmm. Um, They were in charge of helping to bring communion to the people once he said mass. They would also help with uh, the church funds, distribute the church funds, and that's where you get the St. Lawrence story, Mm. Um, like where where the world, the church's treasures, like, oh, yeah, sure, we'll give them to you, because, I mean, everybody knew that the deacon was kind of the money holder. Okay. But then… Even though with that, as they started growing more and more, they would have something that were called rural deacons, and those were the deacons that would help the priests or the bishop's sacramental representatives. Hmm. Um, what so was they- the name again? So okay. they were royal, rural uh, deacons, R-U-R-A-L. Sorry, my oh. accent is coming out. <laughs>
0: It's quite all right. I think it's also our, our video connection. Like oral deacons? Like they talk? Yeah. Rural deacons. Okay. I know that's a hard word to say over the interwebs.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so eventually, well, during kind of what was called the golden age of the diaconate, um, a lot of the deacons, because they were the direct assistants of the bishops, and even the popes, the bishop of Rome, Um, usually when the bishop died, the next logical person would actually be the deacon, not the priest, because he was the one working side by side with Mm -hmm. that bishop. I mean, he was the one, I mean, he couldn't hear his confession, obviously, but he was the one handling all of his business matters. He was the one who was the one he was asking advice for and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So um, you would have like now Pope Callistus, he actually was deacon and he was the first deacon that was elevated to the papacy. I mean, honestly, if you're male baptized in 16, technically you're able to be a Pope.
0: <laughs> that's true. That is true. I think that's a huge revelation for a lot of people. They assume it has to be a Cardinal, but no, right. It can yeah, be a
1: but, I mean, the Pope can, he can pick outside of the, the mm. Cardinals. I mean, if he really wanted to, but the way that they've set things up now, I mean, it's, it's like right. that. And so, Pretty but anyways, um, during that golden age, a lot of, the, we had at least two permanent deacons. We had two permanent deacons that actually became popes. Mm, um, wow. But as the world kept growing, the um, other types of deacons became more abundant um, because, you know, not everybody was near the bishop, which were usually the major cities. Mm. Um, so those deacons also would do works of charity and help. Um, the priests you know, with whatever they needed, but during the Middle Ages, those works of charity actually came taken over by religious orders. Because a lot of the religious orders started taking over the works of charity from the diaconate, they were basically limited to just a liturgical function, mm. um, which is what people see now. They almost sometimes they call us the uh, the liturgical eye candy because a lot of times. <laughs> You're standing, by, you're standing by the priest a lot of times. We don't have a lot of lines sometimes, you know. Uh, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, so, um, but what happened though was because they became just liturgical and the priests were given the authority to actually delegate other people to help them because they wouldn't always have a deacon. That's where we got the altar servers from. Mm. People were like, well, do we really need deacons anymore? And that's when the order kind of became just transitional um okay where it came a stepping stone to the priesthood
0: uh, okay mm-hmm. um,
1: but then around vatican two um they restored it to its fullness in the permanent order the east always kept it but the west it went kind of dormant for a while mm-hmm. um
0: is it then, is it back now you know because obviously i mean it back in the sense of uh numbers because i do see deacons but honestly they're usually older married guys usually yeah yeah,
1: yeah most of them are.
0: <laughs> um, no offense, I, would- I love all the deacons i know i don't mean to be like you're old but like you know <laughs> <they're>, they tend <laughs> oh, yeah. to be like white and, and i say that because i actually lived at a seminary on long island which was oh. closed as a seminary and it was used as a young adult um, community and a retreat center Oh, wow. And, yeah, oh. it was beautiful. And it was a great place. I discerned religious life there. And I was there for a year and a half. Oh, it was so beautiful. But they had all kinds of functions there. And one of the things they had was every Saturday, they had a diaconate training program. Oh, and I tell yeah. you, it was all like, it was like 50 plus men, you know, f- 50 men who were 50 plus. And they were, <laughs> you know, and their wives would come sometimes and they were all married for the most part. So you're you're definitely an unusual um deacon as far as my c- concept of what it, of who a deacon is
1: yeah because most people because i i'm a, a young adult i'm mm-hmm. a um i am not the usual mold um mm-hmm. most people when they when they see me they actually think that i'm either a transitional deacon and that's a deacon that's going towards the priesthood because uh, they're like, yeah. oh, yeah, I'm going to come to your ordination. I'm like, uh, I've already been ordained.
0: <laughs> it already happened. <laughs> That's funny.
1: Um, <laughs> but, yeah, most of them, they do have um, most of the permanent deacons because we don't get paid. Um, okay. So we're we're a volunteer. Um, I, I guess you would say volunteer when it comes to having things taken care of. Mm. Um, so most of us, and I would say all of us, we have to take care of ourselves.
0: Mm, we have okay. we
1: all have jobs. Gotcha. Um, we work out in the world, so a lot of times, like uh, how I am dressed today, that's how most people would see me, unless I'm doing some kind of liturgical function or something. Mm. That's when people will see us look like the priest.
0: Right, right, and um, and just because this is a an audio program, um, you're wearing a black shirt, and you're wearing you're wearing a medal. What's your medal?
1: Yeah. So. My medal is actually the miraculous medal.
0: Ah, fitting. And, uh,
1: I love Our Lady. Yeah, I love Our Lady. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's like if I if I can't quote name my children after, her, I can at least wear a bling, right?
0: <laughs> yes, yes, and you can tell all the people you serve because um, this is another great point about about vocation is that it is it is um, you're meant to be a life giver, whatever whatever specific. You know, form that takes, and so you're giving life through all of your ministry, even if you're not having physical children. And so you can tell them about the Blessed Mother and give life to you know uh, to them in that way. And um, also because this is an audio recording, you're not wearing a collar.
1: Yes, Because I, yeah, I, I, I said
0: a black <laughs> shirt, but you, <laughs> when you do look, you know, quote unquote, like the priest, you don't have the white in the middle of your collar. Is that true? Or Yeah.
1: yeah sometimes because that Roman collar. What that actually represents, it actually is a clerical um, thing, but it depends on the bishop of that diocese, whether they allow deacons to wear clerics, okay. clerical collar. Um, like, say, for example, in the Richmond Diocese, the one that's below me, um, if they have liturgical functions and stuff, they actually will have the collar on. But okay. a lot of times they either have gray cleric shirts to kind of... Mm-hmm. Notice different from the priest or they'll have a it's like a little priest stole on their cleric so people will know they're they're not a priest because if you know we all kind of look alike and say like if i get in my cassock and stuff if you don't know me you would say oh that must be father blah 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 you know right but you know, and that could get awkward if somebody comes up to you and they start trying to go to confession to you, like, "Well, I can hear it, I can't
0: absolve." It. Oh. <laughs> so, so. I'll listen, but I can't. <laughs> I don't got the power. Sorry about it. Whoops.
1: So yeah, so there usually is some kind of distinguishing mark um, that makes the deacon. Um, different from the priest, even when we do have to wear clerics.
0: I hope you're enjoying the episode with Deacon Gerard. I just wanted to interrupt you real quick to let you know that if you're seeking God's plan and purpose, I recommend checking out the Carmelite Sisters of Baltimore. The Sisters have discernment retreats throughout the year that you won't want to miss. So take action right now and look them up at www.baltimorecarmel.org. Whether or not you are called, you have nothing to lose and everything to gain by exploring a vocation with the sisters. And remember what Deacon Gerard said earlier in this episode, you have to explore and visit to truly know your vocation. The sisters have lots of quality time with their spouse every day, aka Jesus, with two hours of solitary prayer and meeting together for prayer three times a day as well. You can read the sisters' testimonies on their website, and I was so moved, and I could tell that these women absolutely love their lives. One sister wrote in her testimony, and I will leave you with the same question my spiritual director asked me, are you willing to follow Christ wherever he may lead you, or do you set limits on where you will go? We should all take that challenge very personally, and I give it to you today. Plus, these Carmelite sisters have a neat distinction. They are the very first community of women religious in the 13 colonies, founded in 1790, so you know they're doing something right. Okay, back to the episode. What do, you, what do your clerics look like?
1: So, um, I have a cassock, um, but I don't wear the white um, collar collar. For there matter, mm-hmm. um, in my diocese, um, because that's what our bishop and our policy is. Okay, um, but sometimes we can like, but we're like when I have funerals, I'll have a cassock and surplus, and then I have a soul that actually goes over one shoulder, and it mm-hmm. is the priest has two shoulders because we have one share of the bishop's authority. The priests have a double share, and
0: that's oh. What yeah. Double So one share going over one shoulder, double share going over two. So it's like a Miss America pageant. <laughs> no, I'm oh sorry God. to make that conspiracy.
1: It's the liturgical eye candy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 Mr. <No>. Arlington Diocese. <laughs> I love it. That's so funny. That's yeah. so funny. <laughs> oh my gosh. So th- this is all, see, this is a huge learning thing for me because I've been Catholic my whole life and nobody's ever told me this.
1: Yeah, so I mean, interesting and and this I mean it is because most people they, they never get to ask because most people especially like even like with me they won't ever get to actually just sit and talk usually the deacons because we're out in the world we're at work so a lot of the conversations people will have with us are involving our jobs mm-hmm. um, you know, but when they see us at mass sometimes or if we're like leading stations or doing a holy hour or something they're like hey I didn't know that you could do this <laughs>
0: What are you doing? Yeah. I'm just messing by you in the cubicle. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> that's hilarious. Cool. This is so. This is so interesting. So, um, what is the training process like for a deacon?
1: Oh well, we go through five years of theological training, pastoral. They basically wow. they want to concentrate on the human aspect, the spiritual aspect. Um, but then uh, one of the things that's different from the priest that we do is actually, we also have the family aspect. As you were talking about, a lot of times Mm -hmm. the wives would go to the classes with us. Mm -hmm. Because uh, for the deacon, it's basically, you know, you hear the call, so God calls, um, the church will accept it. But here's the third thing for most deacons, because most of them are married. um, Mm -hmm. There's only about maybe eight to 10% of us that are permanent deacons that are celibate. Okay. So the majority of them are married. You know, they're actually retired, and that's when they, because they've retired, they have time mm-hmm. to actually volunteer and get ordained to help. Right. It's hard to do a full time job and then also help out at the church.
0: Yes. Um, mm-hmm.
1: but I, for me, as a young deacon, that's what I I do. But, <laughs> but yeah, you, you know, sound—you
0: must be so busy.
1: Um, what is, I mean, it's, there's joy, there's joy, there's yeah. joy. Um, but the wives, so we get trained in stuff like scripture, um, pastoral stuff. Um, we also get, uh, basic theology, like the Trinity you learn about. So basically we become what one priest says. We basically get to know enough where we can become general practitioners. Mm. Um, okay. okay spiritual realm because our job is to actually link people the laity and the clergy um, together so mm. it's like, we're kind of like the neck the clergy are uh, the priest and the bishop are the head and then the laity are the mystical body you know so they're the, the corpus part and below yeah. so the deacon's the neck because we actually have our foot in both worlds you know we work cool. have jobs like the laity so we're not full-time uh, in the sense, full-time clergy, like we live at the church, right? We're at our jobs and we have families and, and stuff like that. So we have our foot yeah. in the world, right. also, but in, in the church as well, because we actually are clergy.
0: Right. Um, so that's we, so interesting. And you get to live where you want, right? You don't live at the rectory.
1: Yeah, we, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that actually, that is nice. Yeah. We actually, we have our own houses. So, you know, mm-hmm. the very minimum, you know, we have our rents, our mortgages and, and all that other fun stuff.
0: <laughs> Delightful. Oh, yeah. that fun adulting stuff.
1: <laughs> we're like, Yeah. we're like, yeah, but I go get father. I gotta go and pay some bills now. Okay? And they're like, oh, well, okay, we gotta go, you know? Wow. So, yeah.
0: That, I mean, that makes so much sense to me to have an arm of, of charity, right? Like, um, okay, so let's, because I'm I'm just noticing, it's like, you know, you get at a, at a parish, you usually have one, maybe two priests, they're so busy, and then it's so, it just makes so much sense to have have this arm of charity there to serve the people in hospitality, as you say, to just be, like, be a presence, be with people. Yeah. Um, that's so interesting. So, who can be a deacon?
1: Okay, so... In order to be a deacon, um, who can be it? And I would say, what you want to start off, and we were front of that earlier, um, it's good that you are asking who and not you know what they can do. And I think mm. that's, that's, that's very important because if you look at just what they can do, then you kind of miss out on the essence of the person because you're mm. looking at just what they can do. But that's a huge difference um, between a vocation versus an occupation Mm -hmm. occupation focuses on just what you can do but the vocation is who you are um like for example you are now a mother that's who you are Mm -hmm. you do lots as a mother (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: Yep, There's a lot, there's a lot that goes with it, but it's not, but I'm not a dirty diaper changer and a dishwasher. Exactly. The who of who I am is a mother. Mm -hmm. Yes,
1: exactly. And that's where, and that's where it's important because who I am is a deacon. So no matter what I do, whether it's, you know, laughing, whether it's giving a talk at a conference, whether it's doing whatever, who I am is the deacon. In order to find that who, what you have to do is you have to be, it, you have to be male, right? <laughs> because okay. it's, yeah, or it's, it's holy mm-hmm. orders. Uh, and there's, if we have time, I can go into why the maleness is so important. Because I know that's sometimes a big topic. Why
0: yeah, I think you know, I think maybe we better save that because I want to make sure I talk about your consecrate your call to consecrate a single life oh. as well. I just want to yeah. make sure we can get everything in. Yeah.
1: so yeah, we so you have to be baptized, received all of your sacraments of initiation, which are confirmation and Eucharist. Um, canonically, you have to be 23 years old um, if you're going to be a transitional deacon, or at, okay. least, 20, or at least starting 25 if you're unmarried. But um, you have to be ordained if you're in the United States, so that's the general canonical rule. But in the United States, you have to be 30 to start to be a permanent deacon, um, and you mm-hmm. have to be 35 once you're ordained. Um, okay. So, yeah. So, and, but you usually you also, too, you have to have a, a heart of service. That's something, because that's part of who you are. Um, you have to be willing to be able to um, be an icon of Christ mm-hmm. in, serving, in serving people. So, um, you also have to have no impediments. And you have to have received what are called... Uh, ministries of candidate lector and acolyte
0: okay what is acolyte i, I that's a term i'm like cut what comes to mind is like um a an altar boy yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry i feel like i'm like the no, voice okay. of <laughs> yeah
1: yeah i mean and, and this is one of the things um the ministry is different from quote the regular altar boy because okay. when you receive the ministry, it's actually for life. So um, in the older rites, they actually were what were called minor orders. So mm. they were you had to actually take them as stepping stones as part of minor orders. And a lot of the Eastern rites, they still are actually minor orders. Mm. The acolyte and the lector would be what we would what they would call subdeacon. Um, mm. But after Vatican II, they got rid of the subdeacon in the Western rite. Okay. So the Acolyte is a kind of an altar server, but they cannot prepare the chalice because that's what the deacon's job is. But mm-hmm. they also, and this is one of the big things, they actually have a lifelong commitment to being, being able to bring the Eucharist to people. The Acolyte's big job is actually to help with the distribution of communion.
0: For any men who are out there who are thinking like, I have never thought about being a deacon before, mm-hmm. what would you say to them?
1: i say three things. Uh, first, pray and ask God what he wants you to do with your life. You know, first and foremost, God is the way to happiness, so you've got to walk with him. Uh, then ask if he's calling you to serve. Um, and how is he calling you to serve? We're all made to be gift. Um, and I, I love John Paul, too. Um, and he talks about there's a law of the gift. It's only in a sincere giving of oneself that one finds oneself. Amen. So, How how am I being called to be the best gift to the world? That's the second part. Um, The third thing after that is you have to want to say like, okay, with those arms, we get back to the the diocese. But um, basically imagine a person ahead and he's holding out two arms. If you think you're called to orders, you have the bishop. But you don't really have a say in that. I mean, that's the Holy Spirit and they elect. You so, <laughs> so you're starting to be a bishop, yeah? I was like, ah, yeah,
0: you off, you're biting like, ah. <laughs> off. <laughs> that's an, uh, an appointment beyond your control. That's exactly your choice. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but you have the, the blessing arm, which is what the what the priests are. They're called to the altar and they're mm-hmm. called to the confessional. But then you have the arm of charity, which is the deacon. They're almost like you know, the, the bishop has like this little staff that he holds. It's called a crozier. And that, that staff actually steadies him while he walks. And the deacon is the one that is like the one that steadies not only the bishop and the priest or the upper hierarchy, they're sometimes called, but also to laity because their works of charity keep everybody level-headed, mm. together and bonded and stuff mm-hmm. like that. That's the deacon. Now, we Mm. can give blessings on behalf of the church, but our primary function is not to give blessings and stuff like that. Our primary function is to be out in the world doing charity.
0: Right. So, would it be an appropriate analogy to say that, like, if we're all sitting down at the banquet together... And, you know, the priest is maybe like the host, you know, and everybody's all the laity there. They invited guests and, and the deacons, like the chef and the waiter.
1: Yeah. I, I, well, and also, and the table server, that's, that's act six right there. You
0: know? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like you're, you're the one like preparing the meal. So, yeah. So maybe, so would you say like men, maybe who really um, enjoy acts of service, and enjoy co- people's company, but don't feel called to be a priest. Maybe they're already married and they're raising a family and they're like, I love my faith so much, but I just, I don't know how I'm called to serve necessarily. Yeah. This sounds like it's going be something for them to discern. Yes. And mm-hmm. I mean, and
1: not only do they have like a service, but this is something that's too, you have to be able to serve how the church needs you to serve. because mm. I think That's very important because sometimes people, when they're discerning, they might think, oh, well, you know, I like this ministry. This will give me more authority as an mm. But you have to go where the church needs you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even like with me, like I love teaching. I mean, I absolutely loved it. But, you I know, mean, like the, the church needed counselors. So it's like, wow. okay, well, all right, here I am. Because I'm, I'm, ultimately, any vocation, and when you're discerning, it has to be Eucharistic. Um, and I would say Eucharistic versus what Freud would call a pleasure principle. Pleasure principle is just, okay, this is all about me. This is about just what I can do. What will make quote, me happy? Mm. Basically, it's the pleasure principle goes, this is your body given up for me. Right. Eucharistic principle says, this is my body given up for you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And when you do that, that's where you can find your happiness, but you have to be willing to sacrifice that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I can tell you, you would be a very gifted counselor. And I I bet that, um, I mean, i maybe I'm assuming too much, but it seems like your gifts as a teacher would also go through um, to counseling. Am I right about that? That'd be useful for both.
1: That was one of the big things when I was teaching half of my time, honestly, was, quote, doing counseling because the kids would come in. I taught high school, and, I mean, the kids would come in like, hey, Mr. Anthony, do uh, you have a second to talk? And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. And, I mean, mm-hmm. some of these kids, they're pouring out their hearts, and some of the things that they're going through, you're like, oh, my goodness. And it's hard to learn. Like, say, for example, um, there might be homeless kids, for example, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And they're like, okay, Mr. Anthony, uh, do you have an extra apple for me or something like that? Cause it's hard to do your schoolwork when you don't know where your next meal is coming from.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Um, Or, you know, some kids are like, yeah, you know, there's something going on with my parents. I mean, like uh, parents divorcing is huge nowadays. I mean, and that's, they need somebody to process that with. So I mean, it actually, they, they do go hand in hand.
0: I mean, Mm -hmm. God
1: unites everything for his glory.
0: Yeah. And talk about being the arm of charity. I mean, you can do so much good as a counselor. Yeah. yeah. Now, I, I have still so many questions, but because we're on a time limit today, I'm going to have to have you back on the show. I know. Um, I'm just going to skip right to consecrated life, single okay. life, if you don't okay. mind. Okay. Which is also known as a consecrated virgin, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Those two are the same thing. So I'm just going to play devil's advocate here. And I have actually heard Catholics say this. And I am obviously this is your vocation. So I don't mean this in an offensive way at all. But I've heard people be like, that's not a real vocation ah yeah yeah well, what do you say to those people and again i don't mean to say that you know this is just like people who don't understand
1: yeah yeah mm-hmm. well as as the devil's advocate i would have to say then get behind me Satan. no just i like, no, <laughs> 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 not totally joking but uh, i mean you're right because uh, people will say that i mean and i've heard that too but i would say there's three things that you have to focus in on on that the first is what is vocation The vocation, it's it's a sign of Christ, it's an imitation of him, and it's supposed to be able to conform you to him. So, like, for example, Jesus is the fullness of holy orders, because he was a priest, and he was actually a deacon, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. He came to serve, not to be served, and that's what the word deacon comes from. It's a Greek word for service or servant.
0: Oh, very cool.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, so, um, and that's why they, side note here, that's where they have the three steps because he was servant first and then mm. he was priest the last supper and then he sent out his apostles. So that's where you get the order for.
0: Him. That but, makes so much sense. Whoa, nobody's <laughs> ever said that. My mind is blown. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well, this is, this has got to go even deeper than you'll love this. I love the it. The fullness of marriage though, um, because of Ephesians 5, his bride, the church, marriage is actually a sign of that actual wedding between him and his church. Well, here's the other thing. Jesus actually was a consecrated single. I mean, most people don't think that. <laughs> it's no. Like an imitation of Christ, right? It's an imitation of Christ. Yeah. But here's the difference. And this is this is really the kind of the mind-blowing moment here. So I'm just I'm wait for this, okay?
0: I'm hunkering down. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> ready, aim,
1: fire! Um, the thing is, the difference between marriage and holy orders and the consecrated single life is that marriage and holy orders, they're sacraments or signs. They're pointing to a reality. The consecrated virgin or the consecrated celibate, they are the reality. That's what? why they're not a sign. We're living now what everybody will be living in heaven. Mm-hmm. we And I mean, because all of us will be celibate. In Matthew's gospel, it talks about in heaven, they are neither given in marriage nor married. Right. Why are we all celibates in heaven? It's not that God hates marriage or he hates holy orders, but it's because the celibate lives in the true marriage. They're taken up into we all as one mystical body will be the bride of Christ. So wow. we will all love each other with Christ's love. Marriage is the communication of love between two spouses, right? right. We will love each other with our spouse's love, who is Christ. Mm-hmm. So we will all be, and this is a paradox here, we will all be celibates, but married to the Lord in the kingdom. Wow. So the short answer is we live out now in the here and now as a reminder to everyone that the marriage here, as good as they are, it's not what we're called to in our fullness. Mm. It would be like wanting to take a trip to uh, let's say Chicago, and we instead of keep going, the sign says, okay, Chicago 50 miles, blah, blah, blah. It would be like hugging the sign <laughs> instead of going towards the reality. Mm. We remind people through our vocation to select, go towards the reality. Yes, the sign is good, but go towards the reality. We're all made for heaven.
0: Wow. That's beautiful. It reminds me, so my husband's spiritual director is an extremely wise, wonderful, wonderful man. Um, He's a priest, and he talked about, uh, we had him over for dinner, and he was talking about how all of the vocations hold each other in kind of attention. They all support each other. And so it's, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the head can't say to the hand, I don't need you, or the eye can't say to the foot, I don't need you. And in that sense, we are all supporting each other. And so I feel like this is a big part of the puzzle that is missing, a huge part. So um, I'm going to bring up another question. Again, I'm playing devil's advocate. Um, Kind of. Um, so like for me, I know my husband is just having him physically present to me, like when I'm upset or something or stressed out, like having him able to be there to, to comfort me. And, you know, when I was pregnant, he like would give me back rubs and was so good to me. And that physical presence really was a help. Yes. How as a consecrated single person do you deal? Like, is it lonely? How do you deal with that? That lack of a physical spouse in your life?
1: Well, I think uh, there's two things. You said something that's very beautiful and I I just want to emphasize it. Married love is actually in the complementarity of things with the tension that you're just talking about. Mm. It shows that love is meant to be expressed through the body. You know, love and expression of love is a good thing. We see that's a good thing and that's wonderful. Now, the consecrated shows that We're not just made for just only the physical, but we're made for love. And Mm -hmm. it talks to young adults. I joke with them because marriage, one of the goals is procreation, right? Mm -hmm. But marriage, um, the consecrated says like, hey, look, you know, we're not just made for sex. We're made for love. Mm -hmm. Nobody's never died of, quote, no sex-itis,
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but <laughs> contrary to what people say in yeah, the culture, culture, yeah. <laughs> right. It's part yes. of your your maturing experience or something like that. It's part yeah. of becoming an adult to explore your sexuality and express your sexuality. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Anyway, that's another episode.
1: <laughs> but here's the thing, which is why this is important though. There have been many people who have died from broken hearts. Mm. From being lonely and this is where the it's kind of the prequel to your question loneliness where does loneliness come from it's not the absence of being around people because some of the most lonely people are like the celebrities they have all Mm -hmm. these people but you know they don't have anybody to relate to
0: yeah
1: um i've even just as a deacon i've known married couples where the two spouses are lonely Mm -hmm. um The loneliness comes from the lack of intimacy. Um, The Theology of the Body Institute says intimacy is into me see. And we have somebody to see into you and you see into other people, that's where loneliness comes from. Now, as a celibate, we're not lonely because we can still see into people. These are what are called spiritual friendships. And I mean, we have great ones. I mean, I have some great spiritual friends.
0: And I know a few of them. They all love you. They love you. They all say hi, by the way. Army. you. friends. <laughs> Good shout out. Yeah, with them too. Yeah. And I mean,
1: but so the loneliness, and I say it doesn't get lonely as long as you don't just focus in on yourself. Mm. But as long as you give of yourself, you follow that law of the gift or personalistic norm, the giving and receiving of God's love, you're never lonely always fulfilled
0: mm. and that's
1: what and that's how we live out our vocation you know,
0: so. mm-hmm. I can tell I can tell you have such a peace and such a, a joy about you that I can see as you're talking because we have video and people aren't going to see the video but I you know I'm looking at you as I'm as we're talking and I can just see you know that that is what you're saying is true and you have a real peace about you which you don't even see you know there are like you said they're married people who are not at peace and who are not fulfilled and that's you know, I think that's a lot of why we see so much divorce is because people expect um, that fulfillment from their spouse. And then, you know, something happens and they disconnect. And um, so, yeah, so intimacy is not about physical intimacy, although that is a component of it. For It's a help, you know, for marriage. But um, that oh man, that's so beautiful. I OK. Um, we only have time for like one more quick question. And this is probably a question that could be. You could probably go on for a long time with this, but, um, I love, I love that you aren't just a minister in your parish. You're also outside in the world, as you mentioned. So you do, um, funerals for stillborn babies and you do homeless ministry. Um, just tell me a little bit about that with like our one minute that we have left.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah, so I work with um, an apostolate. One is called A Mom's Peace, and that's the one where I work with stillborn babies and miscarriages, families that are dealing with that, particularly mothers. Because mm. that's, that's a tough time in any parent's life to have to bury their child. Uh-huh. But the thing is, it's a great honor to do so because it brings comfort to the parents. Um, it can help them have closure, but yes. also it honors life. So even through the parents... They're helping the, to bring the dignity of life out in the world, which is so, so important, mm-hmm. so important. Um, and then with the apostolate of working with the homeless and the forgotten, we go out to them and we bring them love, because ultimately, the thing that hurts them even more than not having a place to stay is thinking that people have forgotten him as a person. Mm. But we want to go out and hold that dignity. Yeah. That
0: sounds so beautiful. I, um, I know some friends, or I have some friends who have had miscarriages, and I see their suffering. And it. I think it's wonderful to have that, you know, there's that arm of charity, so you can actually do the funeral, but yeah. then you're also a counselor. Yeah. And then you also have the theological knowledge to really tell them, you know, this is real. This Your baby's not just a group of cells, like our culture says, you know, we're we're the person now in my state of New York, um, the person is only a person if they're born and alive. So uh, uh, according to the laws of my state, and this is, this just makes me um, so sad is and angry, honestly, you know, is anyone whose miscarriage wasn't really ever a mother.
1: Oh, or, wow. Oh, that's you know? horrible. I mean, right. Yeah, that's horrible. And that denies reality. And I mean, right. and I would say with, with that, I mean, keep being courageous, And being a hero, I mean, I I would say this might be something for you because I see you living this out, but for all the listeners, don't be afraid to be a hero. Um, We're all called to do it. And I mean, oftentimes people think of a hero as just as people are doing extraordinary things like saving people from burning buildings or lifting up trucks off of, you know, people or something like that. But a true hero, some of us may be called to do that, but most of us aren't going to be running into burning buildings. But a true hero is not someone who just does the extraordinary stuff, but a true hero is those who do the ordinary things with our extraordinary God. Mm. And if uh-huh. we can be heroes like that, we will change the world. And I think especially up in your state where people are losing sight of reality and stuff like that, we need heroic people like yes. yourself to keep proclaiming the truth in the gospel.
0: Mm. Thank you. I'm just, I have chills from everything you just said um that i can't add anything i know i need to let you go so i'm gonna this has been so good you wrote a book about the deaconate yes yes if if people have more questions they can buy your book what's it called again
1: oh yeah it's called uh, the oh that's right they can't see here so it's called (laughs) (laughs) sorry yeah audio only (laughs) the deacon icon of christ icon of hope and then the role of the deacon in the modern world
0: Yes. I want to get a copy. I haven't had time to read it yet, but I want to get a copy and, and look at that because um, I think this is a call that many of us don't consider that we should. Yeah. Not not me. Obviously, I'm a woman, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. any of you gentlemen out there or couples together, because if you're already married, you know, I'm sure it's a it's a huge involvement for for the wives as well. Yes, yeah, no, it is.
1: And, and the wives actually have the final say, even if the bishop wants to ordain. And the the husband feels cold. If the wife says no, that ordination is not happening.
0: (laughs) There's there's power, you know, there's power. Mm -hmm. I am just so grateful for your presence here on this show. I think you are giving, shedding light on like a a corner that's been dark for so long. And I'm like, we got to just shed the light on it here. So thank you so much and continue shining your light and and doing all of the ministry that you're doing. You're doing incredible things. Oh, thank you,
1: Stacey. And and God bless you. You too. All you do.
0: Bye-bye. Bye. And that's all she wrote. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And sadly, I do not have a sung reflection for you at the end of this episode. My family's been sick for three weeks, and I'm just tired. I just, I've just, i just been taking care of people and being sick myself, so no singing today. I'm sorry about it, but we'll have more of that in the future. If you have any questions about discernment, please throw them my way on my website. I'd be so happy to have one of my fantastic future guests answer it for you. Please do subscribe, share this episode, and write me a little iTunes review. It would make my day. Stay caffeinated, my friends, because you are called to great things. God bless.